Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Black Women Know Sports podcast. This morning, I am joined with Ms. Nicole Watson, who is a professor at North Carolina A&T State University. And Ms. Watson, I know you have so many other like titles and things like that. So I'm just going to allow you to introduce yourself. Sure, Jaden. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this great um, broadcast, because I'll tell you what, it's so, so important. Um, I came along where there weren't when there weren't very many women in sports. And so I've had um, a 30 something year career. And that's, you know, that's saying something because I'm only 40 something years old. But <laughs> but um, I've done a lot of different things. Um, started out my career at BET. Um, working in their sports department. I was the first woman to work in their sports department, left there and um, went to ESPN because of a show that I created called The Sports Report. ESPN copied it, called it The Sports Reporters. And it really took off. It's kind of my signature um, thing and the most that I'm known for in the industry for the production that I've done with that. Then went on to HBO. I'm sorry, went to Turner Broadcasting for six and a half years to HBO, did a show called Inside the NFL, um, worked around in freelance production, worked in New York in the World Trade Center um, before it went down, unfortunately. And I had a lot of other different things, including a sideline reporter for the Atlanta Falcons and my own production company, where I did a lot of different freelance things, working for corporate America, as well as um, nonprofit foundations. And now I'm back teaching, trying to make sure that I get everything to the students so that they know um, what the industry holds. And I'm also a coordinating producer at HBCU Go, which is a brand new streaming network owned by Byron Allen. And uh, he brought us, he bought us three weeks after we were up last year. We did uh, kickoff for football season and then basketball and uh, we're off to the races with that. We've gotten great reviews and um, we plan on being a viable contender. Byron Allen is very, very serious me media mogul and he really wants um to do more and more in this industry. And he will, cause he's, uh, he's pretty bold. So everything that you just touched on, we're gonna break it down because um, that was a lot. And I really want people to really understand just how much you do and have done. Um, so was sports your first love at first growing up? When did you realize that you wanted to report sports? Sure, that's a good question. So um, actually um, I'm one of six girls. And um, so somebody had to be the tomboy and <laughs> I was the daughter who was sitting next to my dad's side, watching football games, watching um, basketball games and playoffs and things like that. However, I will say that my grandmother was a huge baseball fan. And although it's one of my least favorite sports, I, um, I watched um, baseball with her because I just wanted to just be with her and hang out with her. So, um, and then later on, actually, I'm inducted into my city's hall of fame for track and field once. And then I went in again as a broadcaster when my dad went to go see my plaque at my hall of fame. And that's not saying much. I'm from a small city, but still um, I discovered too, that my paternal grandfather, who I never knew because he passed away before I lived was a, was a major baseball player. And my um, my maternal grandfather was also a baseball player. Wow. So I have sports all around me and I really didn't even know it early on. But I knew um, my undergraduate degrees in business and I wanted to do something. When I moved to Washington, D.C., um, I was helping one of my other sisters look for a job and a position. And then the job at BET came up. 
but I knew that um, I was helping out on the administrative side because I brought some experience from business and from Capitol Hill, but I always hung out with the guys in sports because that was my comfort zone. Um, and so one day the opportunity came, someone quit. And I was like, I can do that job. And my boss, who was the head of production for VET during this very formative stage when we were really just getting on and doing a lot of stuff that had moved to a 24-hour format, he didn't want to let me go because he liked my business acumen. But at the same time, he couldn't deny me because he knew I was helping out and doing a lot of interviews and things with sports. And and he finally did. And the rest is history. So did you play any sports growing up? I did. I did. I played a little bit of everything. Um, I was a gymnast. Uh, I played some volleyball. I was on a championship volleyball team in a rural, actually, after I got out of, after I got out of high school and college. But my main things were um, track and field. And um, I was a sprinter, 100, 200, and uh, long jumped, and I uh, hurdled. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What attracted you to business at first? Um, I just knew that, uh, I just knew that there was, uh, everything intrigued me. There was, there used to be a show uh, a long time ago. It's now in syndication. It's called Bewitched. And it was where this woman who had, uh, she had superpowers and she could make all the things happen. But what people didn't realize, well, a lot of people realized, but her husband was an ad agency exec and he had to sell all these products and everything. And I was, while my girlfriends and, and everybody was so enamored with Samantha Stevens was her character's name and, and what she used to do by casting all these spells and doing all these things. I was totally enthralled with what her husband did because he had to take a product and make an ad campaign out of it. And even at a young age, I knew that that was something like, wow, you have to sell people on different ideas and things like that. And so I try to tell people, first of all, when I got to BET, I hung out also in the news department and everything and just trying to absorb the industry, just try to become familiar with it. But I saw the difference between news and sports. News, nine times out of 10, unfortunately, we report on tragedy, murders, look at all the stuff that's in the headlines today, all the stuff with Trump and everything. It's always kind of something devastating. But sports, most of the time we're reporting on people's accomplishments and and fun things and championships and excitement. And I was like, hmm, sports news. I think I'm going to take sports. And um, and again, it was my comfort zone. So I, I, I went into that. But, but I love taking my business acumen because it's about, at the end of the day, as a journalist, we are storytellers. And it's our idea to translate the, the concept and um, thought process of what someone does and give the story to somebody else. And so that's really business. It's, I don't care if you're selling widgets, glasses, cars, or whatever, you have to translate your thought on that particular item to your audience to get them to buy in on it. And that's what I do every day as a coordinating producer for HBC Go. I get people to buy in on the stories that we tell surrounding the athletes and everything that we we work with. So even though you work in sports, you would contribute like your business um, background to your success in sports? No question. No question. Um, again, it's it's a really simple concept and, and um, it's making sure that you write those key words and do the things that are going to allow people to pay attention. And so that's why I'm a stickler for my students in class to say, hey, 
give it some more thought. Don't write your basic line because anybody can write basic things. But I always say, go the extra mile, dig for the extra information and research so that they know um, someone. I, I think the, the great thing about our business is that we can always tell somebody something that they didn't know. Um, and But we as journalists, our job is to dig for that information and find that out so that you can translate it. And that's why things go viral on a, on a social front. That's why we have uh, folks that can buy into a particular show and not a particular show because you want to put in the effort. And it's not just writing or putting out something and putting something in a script. It's doing your research on the questions to get those answers from the people that you interview so that it can, again, go viral and you can um, obtain some interest. Like you want to, to tune into somebody who you know is going to ask a provocative question or ask the question that you as the viewer are always in like, man, I want to know this about this person. Um, so you want to do that. And the way you accommodate that as a journalist is by making sure that you do your homework. Why are you so passionate about specifically HBCU sports? Uh, because I feel like you know, we, we've seen it so much in our history in general, like they don't they don't tell our history. Um, I'm going back to A&T this year with a new agenda, too. I want to make sure that our students really dig in and we tell the story like just I, I think the movie Hidden Figures. Um, as a young girl, I actually used to visit that base that the um, the lady who the story is based on. Um, my uncle was stationed there in the military and I used to go there for summers when the, when the building came up on screen where the scene where Taraji P. Henson says, I have to run from one place to another. Mm -hmm. My uncle was stationed on that base. I instantly recognized that building. And so I think about those stories every time I get ready to write or do something. And I, um, I'm passionate about it because what they see is what they'll be, especially with young people. We need to make sure that they see something more than the reality shows where you have women carrying designer handbags and fighting in a beautiful um, luncheon space or hotel. You know, we need to show people that black people have been accomplishing things for forever, um, but our stories have been hidden. And um, believe it or not, to this day and to this minute, even with HBCU Go, um, and especially with sports, a lot of times people are purists and they like, oh, we just have to do sports or whatever. But I tell them, no, let's tell our stories. Let's find a way to wrap it around sports or something else. But let's tell our stories. And we need to tell not just the celebrity part. We need to tell about GMs, black GMs in the National Football League. We need to talk about there's black female trainers in division one. We need to talk about um, just administratively what's happening behind the scenes. As our community, um, unfortunately, we always think that the celebrities are on the field and they're not. Um, there are more on the outside and, and people in the front office doing things. And we need to show the examples of that so people can learn that, wow, I can have that position. I can do those things. It, it affords our audiences and our community, particularly our young people, an opportunity to dream. But again, what they see is what they'll be. If they don't see it, they don't know it. And so we've got to keep pushing forward to make that happen. And what's it like being a Black woman in sports? Um, women make up 20.9% of jobs in relation to sports reporting, and Black women only make up 1.1%. So how is it like being that representation for other Black women in sports media? Wow. I'm going to ask that you repeat that for your audience because it's worth noting. Say that again. Black women in sports media as of 2022 make up 1.1% in reporting and 20.9% of women are 
um, reporting as well. So like, how does that feel to be in the 1.1% of sports reporters and media for Black women? Mm. Um, I can tell you that it's a constant everyday challenge because when it comes to decision-making positions and when it comes to um, really, really focusing on what we're going to put on air, someone else is sitting in that seat. And so a lot of times people think that reporters and producers and uh, reporters and anchors have the power because that's who they see on TV, but they have zero power as, as to what we really put on air. And so it's extremely important for us to get more in the decision-making position. Again, to this day, I still have challenges because of men in general, it's a male dominated industry, but then um, it's, a white male dominated industry. And as a female, wow, I can't even begin to tell, like you don't have enough time in this show to me for me to tell you about all the nuances of that one. Um, but but I don't want to discourage people. I always just try to encourage the, the young women, particularly who want to go and do more with it, that they have to, have to, have to make sure that they're, they're well-read, that they're well-researched so that they can substantiate them, themselves when they get ready to sit in those meetings and those decisions are made about what um, stories they'll tell and what they'll go and do that they can make an argument for themselves. And the only way to do that is to have information, which is power to back it up. Why did you want to become a professor? And specifically, why did you want to teach at HBCUs? I know you taught at Payne College before. Did you teach anywhere else before Payne and A&T? I did. I actually taught at a small school. Um, it was It's called Connecticut School of Broadcasting. It's not a, a HBCU, but I was actually helping a friend of mine get a job at ESPN. Connecticut School Broadcasting is just a, like a 19-week certificate program. But the day he went to go interview, he's like, look, I got a class. Um, can you go teach my class? I was like, what kind of school is this that I could just roll in? He said, well, you have the experience. And they, it's just a, like a vocational school. Um, anyway, I went to sit in for him. He went for the interview. He got the job. Uh, I went to sit in for him. And I loved it. And thank goodness this class and the director of the school loved me. And then I ended up teaching there for 12 years. I just, I like smaller classes and audiences, but um, I want to encourage most importantly, our folks, you know, back to the question that you asked me a little bit earlier, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was in a, a meeting. I was the only female and the only black person in the meeting. Um, producers, 12 producers sitting around a conference table talking about what we're going to do for the next story ideas. I was a feature reporter. So um, we go and we assign, they assign who who's going to go do the assignment for that week, who's going to do the feature story for halftime. And usually I, it was kind of early in my career, I would sit back and I just listen and I take the assignment. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go in there with an idea. I said, we should do a story on Scottie Pippen. And they looked at me like, you know, what does she know? And I said, well, I said, Scottie Pippen, uh, first of all, Michael didn't win all those championships until Scottie got there. Um, he was a walk-on on his high school team and his college team rather. And he uh, ended up, you know, being a major all-star contributing so much, doing all, making the Olympic team, doing so many things. And this is actually before he made the Olympic team, but Anyway, he he contributed so much to all those championships that Chicago won. That was one week, and I suggested we go do a story there. And they they basically looked at me and said, "Hey, the only story in Chicago is Michael Jordan." And um, but the next week, the producer 
turns around and comes in and says, hey, we're going to go to Chicago. We're going to do a story on Scottie Pippen. Wow. But, but the thing that made it even worse is that he presented it like I had never even said anything. Never. And so now I've, I'm really fighting. And I spoke up for myself. I said, hey, if you're going to Chicago, you're going to do a story on Scottie Pippen. I'm going to do it. You know, because you can act like you didn't hear me. You can act like I didn't say anything. But and so even to this day, again, I, I, I can't tell you how much I have to continue to fight. And so I want these young people to know that, especially for the women, like they will ignore you. They will avoid you. They will not try to include you in so many things. But you got to keep pushing. I I. I <laughs> I, again, you know, there's not enough time in this show to tell you about the challenges. Um, and Jamel Hill is face and care champion, all those young ladies that are coming along now. Um, and that's why the percentages that you mentioned are still so low um, because that's also the area that they want to protect and keep for themselves. And they don't want us to invade it. And they don't feel like we don't have an opinion or we shouldn't have anything to do with it. And I'm here to tell you we do. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned while being in the media? Wow. Hmm. Um, and this took years for me to learn. Um, when it comes to on-camera presence and everything, someone once told me it will take you 10 years to become yourself. Hmm. And I, I thought about that, like, what does that mean? 10 years to become yourself. Basically, they were saying, like, when you first go on air, you think I've got to be TV person and I've got to have a certain look and style. And when in fact, the way that I get the most out of someone in an interview is to just be me and to come in with the knowledge and things that I know and to just bring it down and relax. So yeah, it'll take you a long time to become you, but the sooner you get to that, the better off you'll be. From a producer standpoint, to do what I said in the other part was that stand up for yourself, do your research and do your homework because I didn't know also at the time that I needed to do all that. I didn't have a good mentor. There was no, there was no one at the network with me, another female. Um, and so, or, or, and then some of the guys would kind of help out, but not as much as they should. And, um, so I didn't have a real mentor and I didn't know to really, really do my research and to stand up for myself when I got into those meetings. And so now please, I'll say something in a minute, but I felt like it, it's, um, kind of late. I'm just trying to make sure that I tell again, younger folks who are going into the business, stand up for yourself, but you can only do that if you are well-versed and well-researched on your subject matter. So you, so you can, you must be intelligent when it comes to the subject matter. And so while being in the business, you've worked for Turner Broadcasting, HBO, ESPN, BT, and CBS, and I'm sure much more. Um, so what is your biggest takeaway from working with these industries? And is there a moment in your career that stands out the most? Sure. Um, my biggest takeaway in working for all those networks, first of all, I'm so blessed because I had I've been to Russia, Cuba, Spain, South Africa, Costa Rica. I mean, I've, I've covered a lot of different sports in a lot of different countries. Um, I started out as a director and I really wish I would have stayed with that. But I let the, the folks who are just enamored with how people look and aesthetically, oh, you'd make a great sideline reporter. That's really not me. Although now I'm to the point where I don't mind interviewing people and doing things like that. But initially, I, I think I would have been a, a, a good director and 
some of the best people that I've worked with in this business have been women because we have a we have an intuitive eye when it comes to editing. Some of the best editors in the business are women, and um, and directors had a great director at ESPN, female director. So I I just look at those experiences and say, hey, stick to what you know and find people who can help you out and mentor you along the way. Find someone who's been there, done that, so that they can continue to show the ropes and give you that shortcut that you need to get there. And you touched on it earlier, like the authenticity while doing interviews. Um, you've interviewed Muhammad Ali, Kobe Bryant, Pat Riley, and many more. So what kind of went in through what went into your mind whenever you're interviewing them? Like, did you have to have a certain poise or did you truly just have to be yourself throughout the interview? Sure. I mean, think of that list, Pat Riley, Muhammad Ali. Um, actually, Muhammad Ali's interview was not that formal. It was actually backstage at an award show. And he was very funny and just really, really sweet. Um, and Pat Riley, though, I interviewed him when he was going from one coast to the next in coaching. And um, I'll never forget, he said something to me. Um, people, he said, people are so up in arms about East Coast, West Coast, fast break basketball versus um, defensive uh, strategy for basketball. He said, everybody's so rocked about the change. He said, but change is good and you should accept it. And that's something that I've always kept with me and kept from my mantra. Like I love change. I love to be able to go and look at different things and say, how can I adjust to or look at more, more importantly, enhance the situation as I enter it. Um, change challenges you to be better. And I like that. And so thank you, Coach Riley. I got I got that from him. But there's been so many great interviews and things like that. But I've also done news and public affairs and different things. And one of my absolute favorite stories was Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, I was doing a, a, a news show there and I did a story on a woman who's learned how to read for the first time at 82 years old. Wow. Like, yeah. So those are the stories that touch my heart. And, and I really like to do more of those human interest stories. I think um, those are the things that help out. And, and fortunately, I've had many times where human interest and sports meet and really and truly those are the things that I want to pursue as I move forward in my career. Um, I want to continue to tell those stories the, of the underdog, not the celebrity, of the people who are coming from behind the scenes in the trenches. In fact, I've got a story that's getting ready. I've got a show actually that's getting ready to come out um that's like that and so i have to come back on and tell you guys about that one too yes I <laughs> what was it like being a producer and a reporter at turner it was good in fact i'm glad you mentioned them in the same breath and i will too i came along at a time where they wanted you to be one or another and I didn't want to let them go. And now they want you to do it all. And so I'm so glad that I never, because that's an, a quick and easy way to be replaced if you're just a reporter and you don't know how to write. So I'm in charge of um, a meeting coming up for HBCU Go telling our new sideline reporters how to handle their position. But th those of you who come in, who just expect people to give you stories and everything, if you want to last in this business and you want to go further, then you will dig for your own stories. You will establish your relationships. You will move forward and make sure that you do the right thing in capturing all that you need to and add something to it as opposed to just being a pretty face. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if you see a reoccurring theme here from what we've discussed from top to bottom, but it's about putting in the work. Yeah. And that's pretty simple. And um, I will say, I have a news internship this summer and one of your other students has an internship this summer in the news. 
And in the group me chat, she was like, Miss Watson really, you know, she taught us a lot. Cause like being in the station, seeing everything, you were right. <laughs> you were right about so much. So yeah. Wow. Well, I'll tell you that, that warms my heart. And I know that it's hard to see that while you're in the classroom. Um, but I knew it was all gonna cook. I can't tell you how many times students come back and go, wow, yes, everything you said to us came to fruition. Um, but, and that's why all the more reason why I'm just trying to prep you. And I'm so glad that you're doing shows like this because it gives people uh, some insight. You've got to have it. And when, when we still have low percentages like that, and it's hard to find mentors in this business and no one else telling you, that's a shame. So actually, as I continue to pursue this, this work and do podcasts and things like this, I really want to expand. I'm going to do some special workshops that are particularly based on things like that, because I want you guys to have the knowledge and information that you need as you enter the workforce. You were the first to put well-known journalists like David Aldridge, Bill Roden, Mike Wilbon, and others on national broadcast with your program that you mentioned earlier, The Sports Report. So in what year was that, by the way? That was 1988-89. I was a young person in the business too. Um, but yeah, those guys, they were all print writers and we put them in the television spotlight because um, another gentleman and I, Jeffrey Madison, who we came up with the show Idea, we wanted to say who better to tell us about what's happening in sports than the guys who live it and breathe it every day. They're called beat writers when it comes to news. And we said the beat writers can come on who they can talk about it because they experience it and they see it every day. And it was a hit. And so a lot of people don't know that that show started on BET. A lot of people don't know that ESPN copied it. That's how I got my job at ESPN. And from that first take cold pizza and all the others that like Stephen A, Stephen A, you can say thank you, sir. I helped you get that job because, <laughs> and normally back in the day, I wouldn't take credit for that, you know, but we started that. I started that. And that's some, that's some U.S. history. That's some black history. That's some black girl magic. Okay. All in the same swoop. When you initially saw that ESPN was taking like what you did, were you like proud of yourself or were you like, give me my credit? Like, how did that feel? Can I just tell you, it all happened so quickly. And that's another thing about being young and not really knowing what's going on. So when you work for a network, first of all, it's the intellectual property of that network. So I couldn't come in to BET. It, it was, I created it while I worked for BET. So it's their property. But just like we see American Idol and uh, Diddy Show, The Four or whatever, then you see The Voice and you see AGT and all that, all those shows that are kind of the same kind of show you can copy shows all day and night. And in fact, it's done a lot. It's done more often than not in this business. I, d I didn't know because I was a young producer how I could protect myself from that. I just knew they, they kept asking me for the tapes of it and they wanted to see it. And then um, I got a job at ESPN, but I worked on SportsCenter in Bristol, Connecticut. That show was actually filmed in New York City. And so um, there, was a, there was a difference and I never worked on the sports reporters. But yeah, they'll be, that's another thing. ESPN will never admit that that show came from BET first, but it did, it did. And Bill Roden, Wilbon, and all those guys will tell you. Who are you outside of sports? I know you mentioned yoga whenever I had your classes. Um, I just want to know like more about that. Oh, I love it. Thank you for asking. Um, I am, I'm a, I'm a person who really, I've always tried to stay a step ahead. Like I've been doing yoga for 25 years. 
Um, um, I could do more. I could do better. I even thought about being a, a certified yoga instructor just because it brings me such solace. Yeah. And I love it, but I haven't had time to do that <laughs> because I'm so busy working, um, on different projects and different things. But, um, I also, I play golf. My dad also gave me the game of golf and it's something that I really, really love, but I'm also one to try different sports. Like I play a little bit of racquetball. Um, I'm totally getting into pickleball. I'm just trying to find a team and get settled into that. I just really, I'm a, I'm a huge loyal person to my friends and family. I love to travel. I hope to one day do a travel show where I mix it all together, travel, food, and sports. Yeah. And I will, I got an idea for that too, but I'll share that with you guys soon too. Okay. Well, that's great. Anything next for you? I know you mentioned traveling journalists. Um, anything you want to share um, with the audience in regards to like A&T or anything? Well, I just hope and pray that I, I, I only have one more year left to really influence the students at A&T. And I hope, I, I know that they're, they're the best and brightest and they'll go get jobs in the industry. And not that I want that I told you so, but I do want them to realize that I'm passionate about making sure that they get the information. I am passionate about making sure that they get the advantage because there's so many times and so many other situations where other people would get it. Why not us? And for me, because I know I'm part of that small percentage who has had those experiences, I just, I don't want us to, we should value each other, instructor to student, student to instructor. And I really want you all to take it in that I'm, I'm not doing this just because I want to do it because I want you to be bigger and better than I was and to have more opportunity. Because at the end of the day, if you really look at it, it's a business can, that can really bring you great joy. Again, remember what I said, 28 different sports. Like I've been at 12 Super Bowls, countless NBA championships, um, several different countries around the world. And it's all because of what I do. And um and most importantly, because I'm I'm blessed and because who I am. And so, but I want you to have the same opportunity and I want you to get there quicker. Um, and so that's what I'm hoping. I, again, not I told you so, but please, please listen to me. I'm passionate about it because I want it to resonate with you that there's so much more out there that you can experience. Well, Ms. Watson, thank you so much for your expertise. I learned like so much from you through your classes and this like 30 minute episode already is just like a lot. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Today's my birthday. So I just want to, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, but I thought it was very important for you to come on. And this is the kind of thing that raises my spirit because again, um, every year on my birthday, by the way, I always renew myself and say, what can I do better? What, and this is more of what I want to do. I speak, I, I already speak and do a lot of different things with students, but I want to do even more. And I, because I've been so caught up with HBCU Go and all this other stuff, I don't have time, but I will make time because this is important. Thank you for tuning in to the Black Woman No Sports podcast. To learn more about our speaker or to shop Black Woman No Sports apparel, head over to the links in my show notes. I'll see you next week with another very important guest.